0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It is Monday, the 15th day of April, 2019. Welcome to Connecting Dots, where we take items that are oftentimes obscure and unrelated and pull them together in a way that demonstrates how we do what we do here at Fixed Cost Financial, which is quite literally forecasting and connecting the dots. Now, we're going to do a deep dive today, and this episode is going to be special Because what we're going to do is talk about the television show Billions. It's a drama uh, starring Paul Giamatti and Damian Lewis. It premiered on Showtime on January 17th, 2016. And yesterday on Sunday, April 14th, 2019 was episode four of season four. We're going to take that and combine it with a headline that appears in today's Wall Street Journal titled Investors Handed an oil man, a blank check company. Here's how it turned out. We're gonna take those two items along with several other items, put them together, and we're gonna connect the dots. So what do you say we get started?
1: Connecting Dots is a production of Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing. All rights reserved. Rebroadcast or distribution prohibited without expressed written authorization. Connecting dots is for educational use only. Investment performance is not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This broadcast does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation or needs. Nothing should be construed as an individual recommendation. Always read and all applicable information carefully before making an investment decision. Investments are not bank guaranteed, not FDIC insured, and may lose value. Due to our extensive holdings and that of our clients, you should assume that we have a position in all companies discussed and thus a conflict of interest should be assumed.
0: So there's a fellow by the name of Jim Hackett, and he left a publicly traded petroleum company back in 2013 to pursue a theology degree at Harvard Divinity School, but he got lured back into the oil business, and the article talks about what happened with him and his industry. Now, again, we're going to relate this to the television show Billions, where you have uh, Charles Chuck Rhodes Jr. and Bobby, Robert Bobby Axelrod. Uh, Chuck Rhodes is a prosecutor. He was the uh, federal attorney in Manhattan. Then he was bounced from that. Now he's won, real, won election as the attorney general for the state of New York. This is the television show we're setting up, all fictitious. And then you have uh, Robert Bobby Axelrod. Everybody calls him Axe of Axe Capital. He is a graduate of Hofstra University, so he comes from humble beginnings. He's a scrapper, he's a fighter, and he's trying to get ahead. They have this uh, interesting relationship. We're not going to get into all the details of it. If you haven't watched Billions, you're missing a really good show. Go back and watch the very first episode and go through it. You will enjoy it. At least I think you will. Now, two years ago, again, Jim Hackett is lured back into the industry, and he's given a $1 billion check. And they say, go make us money. This sounds an awful lot like the television show Bill, uh, Billions. And when I read this, I went, oh, man, I know where this thing is going. This is going to be really, really interesting. So now what has happened is the company now is valued. I mean, this is just a few, a few years, right? I mean, listen, I just said that he was handed in 2013. He went to get his, his theology thing and, you know, he is lured back. Two years ago two years ago, that's it. That's 2017. Billion dollars. It's now down to forty-three million dollars. Now, real quickly, for those of you who follow what I do here online, you'll notice my voice may sound a little bit different. I have allergies, a lot of pollen in the air here in Florida. And I was outside yesterday a lot, so I got a little bit of a little bit of a congestion going, so just bear with me in case you hear some sniffles and snuffles, okay? So Again, a lot of people are making big bets on America in the terms of shale and the shale oil boom that's going on. So what they did is they went out to Oklahoma, they did some drilling, and uh, they made a big bet. They thought things were going to be huge, huge disappointment, huge, huge disappointment. Now, what this fellow did is he took Alta Mesa and he took a pipe company, a regional pipeline company merged them, they spent an awful lot of money. And at one point in time, they value these two companies combined at $2.75 billion. And then eventually, it was totally a total valuation of $3.8 billion. One of the items I want to make a point right now is this. Just because somebody says it's worth that doesn't mean it is. As time goes along, something is only worth what a willing buyer is willing to pay for it. Unfortunately, you have a lot of people who put these incredibly high valuations on things that they shouldn't do. But unfortunately, that's, the, that's what people do. Sometimes you have, I would call it fraudulent um, investment advisory projections. So as a result of over Well, let me say this. As a result of underwhelming production and over-the-top projections, the pipeline turned out to be a whole lot worth, just a whole lot less than what they thought it was going to be worth. Now, AltaMesa has taken about a $3.1 billion write-down. They've laid off a quarter of their staff. And then they disclosed something that a lot of people, well, are kind of unhappy about, they disclosed that they've got some internal control problems with reporting. Now, that in and of itself will result in litigation, and it has. On April 8th, the company said it was drawing down the remaining $86 million of a $370 million revolving line of credit. Uh, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, one and all, the folks that sold the pipeline company and merged, they did fine, didn't they? Follow the money there and see if there's any connection with this guy for wrongdoing. There might be, I'm not saying there is, but you should follow the money. Now, shares were basically about nine bucks in 2018 early. This was publicly traded now. It's now trading down to <laughs> I think, 22 this morning. I think I t- took a look at it, it's at 25 cents. This is a penny stock. So the market capitalization is less than $50 million, and some investors are now in federal court saying that they were lied to. Aha, now here's what we're going to do is we're now going to make a connection with the television show Billions. (music) The organization that's suing is a New York pension fund, not a New York state, but a New York pension fund. And they're saying that they got lied to. And we're going to connect that with the television show Billions. If you watched it last night, you saw what Taylor, who used to be with Axe Capital, she set up her own shop. What did she do? And who did she promote her business venture with to get some more funding? I think you're gonna find the connection amazing. So here's a gig. Wall Street has rushed to fund shale producers like crazy. It's a very risky thing, helping them raise massive amounts of debt and equity over the last six years. But a lot of these companies, well, they failed to generate any kind of decent returns. So when we look at this, what we're doing is we're looking at venture capital, really is what we're doing. So you get a billion dollars and you take the company public and everything looks all good. Oh, on paper, we're worth almost $4 billion. You go public and then you got a problem, right? You then sell your ideas, your hopes and dreams, your projections based upon analysts, right? And it goes south. So what exactly is venture capital? Well, venture capital is financing that investors pony up to provide a startup business. Startup companies and small businesses that you believe are gonna be a long-term profitable item for growth. Now, venture capital generally comes from well-off investors, okay? Normal everyday retail investors, people with less than $10 million, not really something you wanna even remotely consider getting involved in. It's also something that investment banks and other financial institutions, your insurance companies and your pensions sometimes get involved in. However, and this is a key thing, it doesn't always take the form of a monetary form. Sometimes you're providing technical and managerial experience. Now, where have you seen, what television show have you seen where they're always talking about, you know, one of the reasons I came here today is to also get your experience, your connections, and what you can do and help me build my company. What is the show? If you said the show Shark Tank, then we're on the same page. You see, one of the things that venture capital, you're always looking for pie-in-the-sky profits. That's always what they're trying to do. Unfortunately, that's that's too bad because trying to go for the home run is a, is a really bad thing. I have said this for years. Show me a company that is steady, eddy, profits, dividends, keeps, slugging it out where management is not screwing over the shareholder, it is a cooperative venture where you just keep working it and working it and working it. That is a company that I want, I think is a good deal. That's a company that I want to have money invested in. Okay. But here's the thing. A lot of these small companies, they have limited operating history. And it's sometimes becoming increasingly difficult, especially as a result of 2008 with bank regulation, Frank Dodd and everything else. They don't have access to the capital markets. Bank loans and other traditional debt instruments are not available. So sometimes investors usually get equity um, and then these companies have to pay it off. Again, it becomes a one, two, three, four, five stage investing. So let's talk a little bit about these stages, so we understand exactly what VC is all about. So all companies start with a piece of paper and an idea, and we start noodling and getting ideas, and we want to grow our couple of dollars into billions of dollars of revenue. And from there, <clears throat> everything gets to be fantastic, right? That's what we want. Now, from a venture capital standpoint, again, that's where we start. The VC, is <clears throat> the venture capital is at the start. That's the early stage companies. And then what we also then have is private equity through the middle stages. So you have venture capital in the beginning, private equity in the middle stages. And then you have what's called mezzanine capital, which really is typically a bridge to the next stage. And then you will eventually have, again, stage four, which would be your initial public offering where you have a public event where your retail investors now can have a piece of the action. So it's kind of like a one, two, three, four deal. That's those are the stages. Now, what I didn't talk about is angel investing, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But even with venture capital investors, okay, again, there's different stages. You have seed stage, okay? The seed stage is when you're getting the company initially off the ground. General rule of thumb is 0 to $1 million. Now, a lot of times you see people coming into the television show Shark Tank and are looking for the expertise, and et cetera. So they're willing to take less money in order to get the connections, the the manufacturing, again, the ability to leverage or buddy up and again, uh, power up what you're doing. So the early stages, uh, that's where you focus on um, proven successful companies that got a good concept, and you're going to accelerate them. Okay, so you got seed and then you have, again, your, your proven stage or your early stage. When you're in the early stages, about one to 10 million um, and then you have your growth stage. And when you get in the growth stage, it's a company that already is on fire. And now you're pouring, again, kerosene, gasoline, any kind of fuel on the fire. This is where you start getting some bigger checks, 10 to $50 million. You want to ramp this up. So seed stage, investors usually cut a check from 100,000 to maybe a million. In early stage, it's a million to 5 million. Growth, 10 to 50, Okay. But at each stage, most investors have some type of industry expertise that they focus on. Now, that's a real important concept. Don't invest in something you don't know anything about. And we see this all the time where people spend a lot of time and a lot of money, a lot of talk on things. You don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, you literally do not know what you're talking about. So with that in mind, what I want you to understand is big bets on big ideas, which we talk about all the time, Bobby. Bobby is not venture capital, okay? A big bet on a big thing You, it's things you like, you're good, profitable, and can control, okay? Do the things you know. Do the things that you know you can do. And it's not the same as venture capital investing. And we're going to talk a little bit about what the typical day is for a full-time venture capitalist, not a part-time venture capitalist, a full-time venture capitalist, and how it works. But This is the way all business works. Just because we're talking about this on a big, grand scale, I got news for you. Every business works exactly the same way. Okay? That's an absolute fact. (music) Most investors think money is just money, right? I mean, well, it's just green. But see, money comes in all different shapes and sizes. One of the things I talk with my clients about here at Fixed Cost Financial is the importance of knowing the difference between cash and near-term cash. We're not going to get into that today. But with a venture capital, it's the same thing, okay? Typically, you have different types of structure. So, for example, we'll have equity. We'll also have convertible debt. Now, equity is when you actually issue common stock or preferred stock with preference rights going down. Equity, you got it outright. And then until there's a sale or some type of a liquidity event, it doesn't make any difference. You're not gonna get paid back until you have that liquidity event. But one of the things you may have heard of if you watch a television show, Shark Tank, you are hear, for example, I believe the very first person to do it on this show was uh, Kevin O'Leary. You talk about convertible debt. So that's where I'm going to lend you this million dollars to get you going. But I want to be able at my discretion to take X. It can also take an ownership, let's say 10%. But then I can also have more debt, more uh, ownership based upon these circumstances. That's a kind of a cool feature. Convertible debt, unfortunately, is an item that has a maturity date. Um, It does need to be repaid at some point in time in the future. Again, it can have a sweetener or a non sweetener on it. So if you don't meet it, then your your equity in your company goes down, you get more more equity. So sophisticated convertible debt investors in the venture capital business, they treat that just like equity, they're prepared immediately to convert that debt into equity. And that would be for example, like the company's next equity round. So it's often a bridge financing to, again, an early stage of financing. Here's the thing, with Shark Tank, if you'll help me with the financing, we'll, we'll grow. Uh, yeah, sure, we can do it. That's not a problem. What they're talking about is those bridge financing. Again, if you've watched Shark Tank, some of this sounds familiar. But, I, you know, if you're too new and you're working part-time, they're really not going to work with you. So those are some of the things. Same things with a, of anybody in the VC business, Okay. If you're not doing this full-time, you're not fully committed, we're not going to get in bed and invest with you. One minute intermission. You're listening to Connecting Dots. Connecting Dots is a production of Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing. The way we do it, it's better, it's simple, and it works. And now, let's return to this episode of Connecting Dots. Okay, a little cup of coffee, had to blow my nose. Let's get back into this thing. Boy, allergies will really kill you, won't they? So venture capital is always the riskiest type of investment an investor can make. Think of it in terms of small capitalized companies, companies that trade overseas or domiciled, for example, in very small countries. I mean, this is risky, okay? The odds that a company is going to successfully hit a home run, really small, really small. A lot of times these VCs, it's, it's spray and pray. Man, they're putting money everywhere. But the key thing is buyer beware. You, know, you you don't think you're ever going to get the next google or facebook if you're going to get your hands on that good luck you are actually more likely to make a company that's going to go gangbusters rather than invest in one so here's the thing venture capital what it's not now only an idiot okay would bank on the fact that you're going to make money for example one of the things you got to be really concerned about is you got to be concerned about owning stock in companies like banks that don't understand how to handle their venture capital commitments. If you put too much pressure on getting money back, like a lot of these people did with Sears, I mean, some of these people, these, these debt holders on Sears, they're idiots. You're, you're going to put the company out of business. The company was not worth more in bankruptcy, completely out of business than it was paying back loans, even if it was, they were restructured. So you got to be careful not to kill the company. So one of the things that if you go to a bank and you have a senior secured note, they could literally create such an expensive interest rate that has to be paid in cash. They can put restrictive covenants on, okay, they handcuff you on what you can do. They demand certain metrics on your balance sheet that are just simply not reasonable. And so that's why the venture world exists. Forcing bankruptcy for a company with limited assets and has limited ability to repay almost always results in, well, everybody getting a big fat zero. That's a fact. So raising venture capital is not easy. It is more art, believe me, is more art than uh, anything else. You got a great idea, you got to have a team, you got to have some traction. You gotta know if you have the right venture capital to be asking for. You're at the seed stage, you're at an early stage, where are you at? Now, are you on retail or are you in technology? Everybody thinks technology, technology. No, investing in things like, say, a restaurant, as long as it makes good sense. Remember, most of the things you're investing in, you're investing in people. So again, is it business to business, business to consumer? What's the equity raise? What's the convertible debt? And here's the thing. Don't waste your time with dead ends. You got to stay focused on things that are going to make money. Now, cash is not always the same color green. We talked about that. So the big thing is in a venture capital deal, large chunks of ownership are created and sold to a handful of investors through what's called limited partnerships. Now, sometimes these partnerships consist of a pool of similar enterprises. And the importance is that some of these organizations, pensions and your mutual funds, your ETFs, etc., they can get into the VC world depending upon what the prospectus says. Now, have you read the prospectus? You should. If you haven't read a prospectus, reading a prospectus will give you a lot of insight because some of you have got mutual funds, especially, or you have an investment advisor who has an approach where it's just way too aggressive. That's an important thing. So you might want to do is uh, basically dig into your funds, look at what the holdings on, there might be some real crapola in there. You need to know what you're doing with your money. And most people don't, you've got to read the prospectus, especially if you're going to be a do it yourselfer And if you're not, and you're going to delegate, here's the key thing, delegate, but always maintain the oversight, you got to know what's going on. You have to always know <clears throat> what's going on. Well, where did all this come from, right? I mean, where did this venture capital thing come from? Well, it was a niche activity as a result of World War II. A lot of things are developed in war. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. And what we had here is World War II, boy, there are a lot of things that were invented and a lot of multiple players came into being spurring a lot of in, in innovation. And in Harvard, there was a business school professor by name of Georges, well, we'll just call him Georgie, Georgie DeOyt, and he is considered a father of venture capital. Here's what he did. He, he started a company called American Research and Development Corp., ARDC, in 1946. He raised $3.5 million, 1946, to invest in companies with commercialized technologies that were developed during World War II, okay? So he taxed the country like crazy. we go to war, kill a bunch of people, break a lot of things, come home. And a lot of things were invented, people that invented them, okay, here's what we're going to do. Now we're going to take it into the private sector and make money off it. His first investment in that company was to use x-ray for cancer treatment. $200,000 investment turned into $1.8 million. Bingo, bango, 1955, the company goes public. Now, with that said, most of the funding for venture capital, a lot of the banks are located in the northeastern part of the country, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Vermont, Pennsylvania, all up in that area, Right. But the capital is concentrated in the West Coast, mainly in the tech center, what we now call Silicon Valley. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but a fellow named Arthur Rock, he was an investment banker years ago. And uh, what we're going to call it now, Davis and Rock, they funded some of the most influential companies going back a few years ago. Oh, companies like Intel, Apple, for example, 1992, 48% of all investment dollars were on the West Coast. In the East Coast, Northeast, well, they counted for 20% of the investment dollars. Now, third quarter of 2018, same thing, it's 38% out there. Again, that's where the deals are. So it's kind of like, if you want to get into Hollywood, where do you need to go? You need to go to Hollywood. Now, a series of regulatory innovations really changed the funding world for venture capitalism. You have the Small Business Investment Act of 1958. Now, that's a big deal because in 1958, that's when we rewrote the tax code. There's only been three tax codes in the country, okay? Only been three. The 16th Amendment allowed for the taxation of income. 17th Amendment allowed for the direct election of senators. Horrible thing, by the way. But... The 1913 passage of the 16th Amendment was the first tax code. 1958, during the Eisenhower administration, was the second tax code. And in 1986, known as the Tax Reform Act of 1986, that's the third tax code. When I say that, what I'm saying, tax code was completely bombed out. It was blown up, gone, done, over with. And then what they did is they rewrote it. And I actually started in this business full-time, on the very first day of the implementation of the Tax Reform Act of 1986, October 1st, 1986. Now I remember that day because everybody was really freaking out uh, about all the new laws, rules, and regulations. And one guy came in and said, you know, you're starting at the perfect time because we're all right back at the same square one. Kind of cool, huh? So what this thing did, it boosted revenue and capital uh, in the industry by providing tax breaks to investors. That was a big deal. 1978, the Revenue Act was amended and capital gains went from 49.5%. Remember that. When you sold something at a profit prior to 1978, 49.5, nearly 50% went to tax. Did you, did you know that? Most people didn't, it dropped down to 28%. Then in 1979, they made a change to the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, that's known as ERISA, and it allowed pensions to invest up to 10% of their total funds in the VC industry. Now, they also said they had the prudent man rule, et cetera. But of course, things kind of went up and down. There's been a lot of different changes. They had the big tax code change in 1981, where we had 20% for capital gains. I remember that was like, holy cow, was that fantastic. We went from basically 50% to 20%. And the growth in venture capital went nuts for a period of time. Okay, The dot-com boom also brought a lot of industry into focus. A lot of venture capitals were chasing quick returns. And we all know what happens. For those of us who were around at that time, what happened to the dot-com blow up at the end of the Clinton administration. It is what it is, what it is, what it is. So angel investors are really for small businesses that are for the up and coming businesses in the emerging industries and markets. They provide basically high net worth uh, individuals to invest in very small companies. Angel investors are usually a diverse group of individuals who have mastered wealth through a variety of different sources, and they tend to be entrepreneurs themselves, okay? People like uh, myself and others who, you know, people come to us and say, hey, this is what we're looking to do, blah, 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 and they're looking for anywhere from $10,000, $20,000, $30,000, $50,000, $60,000, to dollars again, like I've said, with uh, other companies, you know, a couple million dollars, pretty simple, Okay. The majority look to invest in companies that are well-managed and have a fully developed business plan. I can't tell you the number of times I've told people, I'm not interested in your pie-in-the-sky idea. I got to have a business plan. And you can really, you can sniff these people out pretty quickly. But the thing is, you always want to invest in business sectors that you're familiar with. Like I told you before, big bets on big ideas, invest in the things that you know, okay? You have to invest in the things that you know. If you don't, you're going to get burned. Most people if you're going to do any kind of venture work, um, you actually worked in the field. And if you didn't, you have some academic training in it. So again, one of the other things you might want to do is actually, as an angel investor, it was work alongside as a trusted friend or associate or whatever with that person and organization to make sure that they make it.
1: You are listening to Episode 30 of Connecting Dots. Let's take a 90-second break to stretch our legs and pour a fresh cup of coffee. This episode of Connecting Dots is sponsored by Fixed Cost Investing. Fixed Cost Financial is the home of Fixed Cost Investing, the true fiduciary-based registered investment advisor, where you do not pay more, or receive less. Visit FixedCostInvesting.com, that's FixedCostInvesting.com today. Do not delay. Do it today. Fixed Cost Investing. It's better, it's simple, and it works. Fixed Cost Investing is the only true fiduciary-based investment advisor approach you should ever consider. Remember, the website is FixedCostInvesting.com Now, back to today's episode.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about uh, things? So if you're going to go into business, begin by starting with a plan. See, always talking about planning, right? It's just project management. Then I need to take a look at the plan. And then I'm going to perform my due diligence. I'm going to do a thorough investigation into the company's background, their business model, their products, the management, the operating history, all sorts of different things. This is no different than being a law enforcement officer. I've said this for years. One of the best training I ever received to be an investment advisor and manager is to have done investigations. When you're doing a homicide investigation, burglary, robbery. In my case, I did a prolonged twice organized crime investigation, one into prostitution, one into uh, a group of gypsies and uh, it was truly organized crime in all cases it was, a, it was it was a big deal here's the thing it is an investigation what do we do what do people who are venture capitalists investment advisors i got news for you you start the day off by reading the wall street journal and various other business mag- uh, uh, periodicals like financial times bloomberg market watch and then you start getting to all the respected business publications of things that you're following in our case, a lot of sector areas. You subscribe to all the trade journals and the newspapers, online and, and otherwise when you're looking at very specific industries and sectors. And you do all this before you even have breakfast in the morning. We don't I don't eat and I don't eat breakfast. I'm more of a, a I fast and I do a lot of keto and, and I, I don't use carbs, but again, before I have a cup of coffee in the morning and get going, I mean, that's what I do. I am already filled with meetings and research. And then when you conduct with your participants that uh, you're working with, your partners, your members of your firm, you're, you're pulling together. This is what a VC does. This is what any real investment advisory firm does as well. It's always the same thing. And these are the same things that are done in law enforcement, for example. They get together for roll call, places that still have roll call. Again, I get when you don't get these guys together, there's a real lacking. Oh, okay, we do roll call digitally over their, their terminals. It just You lose a lot. You have to get together and just simply sniff the dirt and connect the dots. Then you have a, a firm, wide discussion. You used to do the same thing. Tampa Police Department back in the 70s and 80s. Here's the roll call. Hot sheets. What cars are out there stolen? Who are we looking for? Yada, yada, yada. What happened in the prior shift? Shift commander comes in. You have a little chit-chat. Kind of like that TV show, The Rookie. So then your due diligence team sits down with a, after you have a wide, firm-wide discussion. Then you start really digging into the pros and cons of investing. Your due diligence team is very similar to, for example, latent investigation. Your detectives are really good into it. Then at the end of the day, you start having a roundtable discussion, and, and you start figuring out what we're going to do in terms of buying and selling. Again, if you watch a television show billions, you see, wow, this is actually the way it works. Yeah, it is. The afternoon, you usually have a lot of meetings, a lot of portfolio analysis. So you do company visits to make sure, you know, is the company running smoothly? Does it make sense? You know, what's what's going on? You, you kind of want to know what's going on on a regular basis. Again, sniffing dirt. You got to get out there. Is our money being used wisely? And then you evaluate your notes. In the evening, well, you have dinner. Never Eat Alone is a title of a book, for example. And what do you do? Again, you're meeting with people. You're you're looking at budding entrepreneurs who might be looking for funding. You're looking for ideas. And then at the end of the day, you go home. You're tired as, as all get out. And then you start the next day. Next day, you start by voting on what's going to happen. You make some some bets, What are the essential facts and figures? And off you go again. That's the way it's done. No ifs, no ends, no buts about it. Now, in the business, you also might have to kickstart an industry and actually participating in the startup's progress and providing funding, counsel, connections to entrepreneurs. That's real important. But you also, as a retail investor, should always be aware of market manipulation, making markets, advertising, fake demand, journalists, buying them off, buying off and clearing the way for positive transactions and traction on a company. You got to be careful that that stuff actually goes on. The VC industry and participants have oftentimes basically gotten around this whole philosophy of helping entrepreneurs build their business. Now, let me go back and connect a dot. This is no different than law enforcement, okay? Law enforcement in the area of field training. The VC, the venture capital, is like the field training officer, the FTO. The rookie is like a startup company, okay? Nothing new, folks. I was a field training officer. A lot of men and women have been field training officers. You don't realize that when you are an FTO, you are literally acting as a venture capitalist. There's not a single law enforcement agency in this country that thinks like that. I've mentioned to several people, and their eyes usually gloss over, but that's exactly what you're doing. You're building. You're building and growing. So Silicon Valley, overwhelming majority of the people out there, again, it's technology, technology, but there's a lot of exceptions. How about Starbucks? How about Staples, basic old-fashioned businesses? I will tell you, I believe absolutely unequivocally beyond and to the exclusion of every reasonable doubt, some people are just really missing the boat and not going back to some old basic business ventures. I'll tell you one that's doing it right now that I'm very impressed with, and that's a company called WeWork. And WeWork recently acquired uh, Meetup. And Meetup is an organization that is, uh, they do a really nice job. In fact, one of the things that we're doing with Meetup is having a meetup at my office in our boardroom here at Fixed Cost Financial for podcasting for fun, business, and news. It's a pretty interesting little deal. We've already got uh, quite a few people that signed up. I hope to grow it to a nice little area. So again, what we think is this, there's a limit for the appetite for risk with everyone. That's a big deal. And I'm gonna share with you now how you can evaluate your own risk tolerance. Two simple questions I've used for many, many years. How much can you afford to lose before you become concerned? Now, the question has to be answered in two ways, dollar amount and percentage. You always ask the percentage first. Oh, I could could lose 50%. Okay, so on your million dollars, you could lose $500,000. The answer between percentage and dollar amounts are different. Then the next question is, how much can you lose before you become upset? So you have concerned and upset. Upset, you're going to get a little, uh, again, higher percentage. And if somebody says, well, you know, I, I did say 50% before, but I'd be concerned at uh, 20. But I'd be really upset if I had 50. Yeah. And so that helps to, de- to determine more than anything else, in my opinion, what your risk Tolerances, your appetite for risk. Now, a lot of people have all these questions. They go through all these questionnaires, blah, blah, blah. The financial services industry, the Financial Industry Regulatory Association, the SEC, all of your state regulators, all the academics, they go through all these questions. I'm telling you, my opinion, I've got 33 years in this business. That's it. How much can you afford to lose in terms of percentage and dollar amount before you're concerned? And the second one is... You're upset. That's it. When you do that, that tells you about where you should be from an investment standpoint. And most people, they don't have the appetite for risk and loss. And so as a result, they are not in any way, shape or form going to want to get into the VC business. It's just, you're not going to do it. It's a, that's a, that's a big boys game. And you don't want to get into something that you have absolutely no knowledge in any way, shape or form of what you're doing. You just don't want to do it. Okay. So with that, You have institutional investors, they become a really important source of funding, especially as purse strings have gotten tighter. You have the emergence of unicorns, where, you know, all of a sudden you get this billion dollar company, everybody's again, going for the home runs, not not so good. There's information from NVCA and a company called PitchBook, and VC firms last year, 2018, were funded. To the tune of hundred and thirty-one billion dollars. When I heard that, when I saw that, I was like man, that's a that's a hell of a number. I realized it was large. It's, it's actually grown substantially as time has gone along. I just again re-seeing that again is just huge. Almost nine thousand deals, eight thousand nine hundred forty-nine deals. Um, that's more than a fifty-seven percent jump from two thousand seventeen. Now, where's most of the money going? Most of the money has been going into late stage financing. They want to, you know, once a company becomes popular and then institutional investors now are tending to get into it, they want to be a little less risky. So the share of angel investors over the last years, that's it, actually declined. So when this guy Hackett got a blank check, uh, backed primarily from a New York investment firm known as Riverstone Holdings, um, those are kind of things that really haven't worked out so well. Um one of the things is shale oil uh, that's been a that's a big boys game i mean a really big boys game now what these are called here, here this is a big deal s p a c special purpose acquisition companies no assets they have shares of their of their company to sell they raise capital and they go off faster than a traditional IP. i mean this is like okay, we're just going to create a company, here's a bunch of money, and I'll sell the shares of stock to the unsuspecting public. I mean, it's just, really? But see, what you're betting on is a well-known oil man. Well, he must know what he's doing. Again, if you look at Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, who was able at 19 to basically bamboozle people from coast to coast with her, I'm the female version of Steve Jobs, You look at the massive amount of money they lost there, same thing. Look, most investments don't pan out. They don't, not in the VC area. In fact, 60% of your energy companies acquired by these special purpose um, acquisition companies, they're no longer in business. They They just blow up. So here's the thing. The problem is a lot of these management teams, their incentive is to spend money that they raise no matter what, spend, 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 so they can collect fees and pay themselves a nice hefty salary and get stock options when they take the company public. Now here's a key conflict of interest. I've seen this in the non-traded real estate investment trust world for years. Self-dealing, every possible way to make fees, big fees. There's not enough checks and balances. Same thing with minority shareholders, Again, we're not talking about race. We're talking about minority and number of shares. Um, you just don't have the ability to rein in management, so you have a misalignment with investors. In 2018, they said, oh, yeah, every one of these wells should produce about 250,000 barrels over its lifetime. And then last month or two months ago in February, they disclosed in their that, well, it's going to be more like 12. 120000 over the lifetime. In fact, they couldn't even file their annual report for last year because um, they've got problems with their financial controls. So the the amount of wells have gone down. The production is huge. But Hackett, he's still getting his $520,000 of annual salary, his perks and stock options that are worth about $5 million. That's a big deal, boys and girls. Now, remember I talked earlier about uh, Taylor, the character in Billions, who was Bobby Axelrod's right-hand person. She's an interesting gal, uh, female, very thin, shaved head, wears men's clothes, again, has a lot of conflicts in her life. That's how they portray her. Um, Appears to be heterosexual. They've had a a scene where she was uh, fancy with a, a fella, okay, so... The point being is that in the most recent episode, season four, episode four, she's in New York City with the firemen, and she's making this emotional pitch to get a portion of their pension. Well, a lawsuit was filed in New York federal court by the Plumbers and Pipefitters National Pension Fund. So you see where I'm making the connection? That Alta Mesa, again, the company we're talking about, um had false statements to his prospects. As a result, this group who manages money for about 100,000 people, um, they invest a million dollars. It's now worth $27,000. I gotta tell you, you only invest a million dollars. I get it, you wanna sue, you're, up, you're You're not happy. And it's very similar to Billions, the Showtime show, Taylor Axe, their fire and pension fund, the pitch, the insider deals, the payoffs. It's very similar to what Axe did with the law enforcement pension but in this case, again, we'll talk a little bit about, we'll go back to the, the show. It's all about who you know in the deals. Litigation like this is going to be questionable at best. You got to prove that, well, did you do your due diligence? I mean, it's going to go both ways. I mean, if I'm on the jury or if I'm defending, I'm going to say, did you do your own due diligence? Likelihood is that the Plumbers and Pipefitters National Pension Fund is going to be run like a lot of these pension funds. You got a bunch of good old boys and yahoos on it, some intelligent people on it but a lot of these decisions are made, made emotionally. And so was there an outright lie? Or was it just overestimation of best efforts? So a lot of these things, just a waste of legal fees, just you're done. And uh, you might want to just say, we lost, we lost a million bucks. Now we got $27,000. Don't do stupid things again. Okay. Now, based upon this, it brought me back to another television show called Gold Rush. You see, A lot of what's going on, people are arguing that they made their estimates on a very small number of samples for oil drilling. Well, hello, no kidding. You get a couple of good test wells, and the whole area must be rich in oil. It's no different than that guy Todd Hoffman of Gold Rush. I remember that when he was on the show. Now, he left it. He was the original Gold Rush dude. You might remember that from years ago. And he's now left the show, but if you look at the way the other two do their business, okay, Tony Beats and uh, Schnabel, they they're business owners now. Schnabel's got a real emotional problem. Turns he's a he's a he's a uh, he goes off half cocked and gets really emotional. But he's a young guy. He hopefully will one day settle down and be more like his grandfather. But here's the thing. You got you to gotta test, you got to test, you got to test. With Fixed Cost Financial, we spent years testing, seeing how things work, seeing what other people are doing, slowly building it. Dave Turn, who is the latest, uh, he was on with the Hoffman crowd, and he had a fist fight. He left the show, and now he's got his own show, doing exactly the same damn thing. They're going to show, oh, boy, he's he's doing it right. He's, But the last episode, he went off half-cocked. And things are are not going to turn out quite the way they, they look like they wanted to. This is a consistent problem in the venture capital world. This is a consistent problem when people try to do it themselves. It's a consistent problem when you have people who don't sit down and really do their due diligence. <laughs> So giving people access to basic things like toilets can make a huge change in their life. And yet everybody wants to do the next big thing when it comes to technology. Yeah, televisions, internet, microwave, refrigerators, everything improving people's lives. But a lot of that stuff can be much more basic. It sounds really stupid that we're always trying to hit that pathetic home run when there's a lot of great success out there if you just focus on more basic things. Remember what I said about earlier, Starbucks and, and Staples. People need pens and papers. People need coffee. They don't need coffee. They want coffee. So there's a few exceptions to exceptional performers that uh, just simply go crazy. But despite the billions of dollars invested that have been invested, we've wasted a lot of money. The key, Bill Gates said, you got to keep it basic. You know, our investment approach here at Fixed Cost Financial is to strip out all of the many layers of management and get right down to the absolute basics, okay? The real basics. In management, by exception, you put together a process. You get to stocks. You keep it low cost. You keep your clients informed. You're always engaged with clients. You're doing things like our blog, our podcast. You're constantly doing this. And then the time that's used by clients will they pay for? Extraordinary time. You know, you might not realize this, but two and a half billion people in the world lack safe sanitation access to toilets. There are places in the world where, you know, shitting in a, in a river, in the same river that you drink from is just normal everyday behavior. Food and water contamination from fecal matter causes an, uh, about 1.5 million deaths for children. If you've looked at any of the plumes that come from China and India that are polluting the the oceans, it's amazing. And yet we focus on some of the silliest things here in the United States. Yeah, I get it. Straws are are bad. But if you want to really clean up the plastic, clean up the plastic that's coming from China, the Pacific Rim countries, and in India. So a lot of these, again, projects, they just don't have the 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 impact, and they're not really doing what a lot of people think they need to do, but it just kind of is what it is. So what do you say we start to wrap this thing up, and we're going to get out of here in just a few moments. The key is this. We've tied together a a headline article in the Wall Street Journal with a television show, Billions. We tied it together with Shark Tank, and we tied it together with a Gold Rush Go figure. You can learn a lot of things if you watch television, but you look at it from a business standpoint. The key is directly or indirectly doing things. You know, don't do things you have no business doing. You don't know what you're doing. The other thing is stop wasting time on things that are basically you just have a little bit of knowledge on. And you're not going to put the time and effort into it. So yeah, oh boy, I know everything about this or that, but you're not doing it. So why? It may be a cool topic. Venture capitalism might be a cool topic. It might be fun to watch television shows like billions about it. But this is a big boy area. You don't go into areas where you can't swim with the sharks, okay? But Bobby, big bets on big ideas, you got to have that. Every single person has to do a Bobby. But Bobby is not someone else's. Bobby is about you. This has been episode 30 of Connecting Dots.
1: Thank you for listening. Please visit our sponsor, Fixed Cost Financial, the home of Fixed Cost Investing, at fixedcostinvesting.com. That's fixedcostinvesting.com.
2: We got love that we'll never need to hide.
1: Love will always
2: rise above. Whatever comes, we will be just fine. If I am yours and you are mine, Take my hand and let's fly away to another galaxy Hold me close, I want to feel your love Together we are free Just be with me Just be with me Just be me Now we're one with the sun over our heads, And at night we'll be the stars We can go any place that we want to I don't care if that's too far Take my hand and let's fly away To another galaxy Hold me close, I want to feel your love Together we are free Just be with me. Just be with me. Just be with me.
1: All rights reserved. Reproduction prohibited without written authorization.